0: Welcome to Jury Duty, I'm your host Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we continued our review of the cross-examination of Chris Wilson, a fellow lawyer and former friend of Alex Murdoch. In this installment, we conclude our review of Mr. Wilson's testimony. That's all coming up right after the break. It's that time of the year. Your vacation
1: is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm
0: breeze, relax,
1: and think about
0: work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. It is the morning of February 9th, 2023, day 12 of the trial of Alex Murdoch. As we concluded our last episode, Defense Attorney Jim Griffin asked Chris Wilson about his work with Alex Murdoch on personal injury and product liability cases and also questioned the witness about patterns in his cell phone communication with the defendant, specifically regarding his experience of speaking to Murdoch when the defendant was at his Moselle Road property. Griffin elicited from Mr. Wilson's testimony that there were dead areas all over the Murdoch property, and that the defendant's calls would often drop due to spotty reception. As we begin today, Jim Griffin continues his cross-examination by asking Mr. Wilson about his communications with Alex Murdoch on June 7, 2021, the day of the murders of Maggie and Paul. For reference, the murders are estimated to have been committed between 8.44pm and 9.06pm, Alex Murdoch made his call to 911 at 10:07 p.m.
1: Can you 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 see this and compare it to your to your phone bill? But it says Alex Murdoch calls Chris Wilson um, at 9:12 and 14 seconds, and it was a 42-second call. Does that sound about right? I don't know that your Verizon bill has is that is that accurate on the
2: time? Is this is this supposed to be June the seventh, Monday, June the seventh? Yes, sir. (coughs) My my phone bill that I pulled and provide, or my phone records that I pulled and provided this led, Um say I had an incoming phone call from um, phone number NN1227, which is LXL phone number, at nine eleven p.m. that lasted two minutes.
1: Okay. And so some of these extraction data that's in evidence says the call is 42, 42 seconds long. Do you, you think you talked to him for two minutes? Or, and you may have been billed for two minutes, but... When you got the call, you said, I'm fixing the pump, can I call you back? Yeah. Was that a two-minute call or is that a 45-second call?
2: Hey, Bo, how you doing? I'm doing all right. I got my hands in the middle of this. Can I call you back? Yes, yeah, sure, no problem. I mean, probably shorter than two minutes. I don't know if that's the phone ringing and the talking. Right. I don't know how that works. Okay. And
1: then but but that but that was the call. And there was nothing about Alec's demeanor that alarmed you during that conversation, right? No, sir. He wasn't breathing heavy, was he? No, sir. He he didn't sound panicky in any way, did he?
2: Not panicky, no, sir.
1: Just a regular conversation
2: with Alec? You're... All conversations with Alec are a little bit scattered, but no, he didn't sound out of the ordinary.
1: All right. And then um then you call him back. Um I did. Sometime around nine twenty. What what what's your Verizon bill say?
2: 9.20 p.m., a phone call from me that lasted to him that lasted three minutes.
1: All right. And if you'll go to um, page 3082 of of Exhibit 60, and if you'll Doug, pull up the, the call at 9.20 with Mr. Wilson, you see it? Now, I mean, it really doesn't matter whether Verizon bill says two to three minutes. This says 131 seconds, but if, uh, this is you calling out back, correct? Yes, sir. And in, in that call, he has um, got the same demeanor? Yes, sir. Not breathing heavy? No, sir. Not being phrenic in any way? No, sir. Just Not that nor- I heard. N- normal out? Yes, sir. And, and he, he tells you he just gets to his mom's, and that's
2: how you end the call, right? He says he's either getting to his mom or about to get to his mom's. I said, I think he said, I'm about to get to my mom's. Let okay. me call you when I'm leaving here. All right. Mr. Griffin, I thought he was leaving the office. For whatever reason i don't have any reason to know that he didn't say that but i just assumed he had kind of worked late at the office and was headed sure ha- headed to check on his mom before he went home okay but he said i'm about to get to my mom's he didn't even say i'm you know where he had been earlier or, or anything like that just i'm about to get to my mom's well can, uh, can i call you you know can i call you later
1: would it strike you as odd that he'd be going to visit his mom at 9 20 in the evening
2: no, sir. I knew he visited his mom often. I thought it was mostly during the day, like he'd swing over there for lunch, check on his mom and dad, but it didn't strike me as out of the ordinary for him to go in the evening. I knew sometimes he would go later. And and were you aware that his dad had been put back in the hospital on, on that on that day? Yes, sir. Or I knew he was I don't know that I knew for sure he was. I know on that Sunday Alec told me he was either his daddy had was being taken to the hospital or was taken to the hospital that day. <laughs>
1: And from from your knowledge, how frequently would Alec go by and visit his mom and dad? Almost every day. Almost every day. Yes, sir. When, when he was in town? Yes, sir. And uh was
2: did Alec work odd hours, late hours? He would usually be somebody that was working later in the evening than, than a lot of other people would be. Yes, sir. So I don't you think were, he got started as early as everybody else does? So I I guess from what you're testifying, his
1: demeanor would have been um in his communications with you on this phone call um, at nine twenty, same as if would have been any day he leaves the office. There's nothing yes. out of the ordinary.
0: Nothing struck me as out of the ordinary, no sir.
1: And you think in this call you um, you brought up that you know you, you needed to talk to him about the equipment?
2: I know I did that because we were I mean these they were starting to get frustrated with us and said this thing needs to get inspected so we can put it back in service. So we were I mean we were we were needing to get that scheduled.
1: And, and he cut the call short before you finished your conversation about the equipment saying he was pulled up to his mom or about to get to his mom so yes sir yes yes okay thank you and then the the next entry I'm not sure you it wouldn't show up on your Verizon bill but if you'll go to page 3086 Doug, at the text at 95215 which I believe that's in
2: mr. Gro I don't think we talked about the equipment deal when he told me he was pulling up to his mom's house I mean, I asked about how his mom was doing, and I asked about how his dad was doing. And I said, hey, I need to talk to you. I might have said, hey, I need to talk to you about this equipment case, and I got something else I need to talk to you about work. We didn't get any details about it because he said, I'm about to pull up the mom's. I'm pulling up the mom's. Let me call you back when I finish there.
1: Okay. Well, one thing we know you didn't talk about is the Ferris fee. Yes, right. no, sir. Because there was no issue, as far as you knew, about the ferris fee.
2: I knew of no issue with that, no, sir.
1: So, according to uh, this exhibit that's in evidence, there's a text at 5 52, 15 seconds. Just call me if you're up. And I think you put that text in the evidence. And this states exhibit 40, 452. Yes, sir.
0: Defense Attorney Griffin hands Mr. Wilson another document. Is that the text? Yes, sir.
1: And and, and what time did your well, I guess you printed that off your phone, is that right?
2: This just this um, exhibit uh, four fifty one only shows my phone calls. It doesn't show text.
1: Well, the the picture of the text message has a uh, nine, time on it, right? Yeah, June seventh, nine fifty two p.m. Okay, and the and the extraction record says 9:52, 15 seconds. But but you you received that text? I did. Okay, and then um, if you'll go uh, right below that. There's a phone call that you made You made to Alex at 952-59. On your Verizon bill, you see 952 phone call to Ellen. Yes, sir. Now, earlier you testified that that, that was a missed call, and you, you didn't talk to him. I mean, the extraction record says it was for 42 seconds.
2: Do, do you think you called him, got him, and, and the call dropped, or do you think it's a missed call? I don't remember talking to him on that call. I either got his voice message or it didn't answer at all. That's why I called back one minute later. Okay. He may have picked up, but I, don't, I didn't speak to him and I didn't leave a message.
0: Okay. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Jim Griffin continues his cross-examination of Chris Wilson by asking about another call in the witness's phone log. Again, for reference, these calls were made after the murders of Paul and Maggie, but before the defendant called 911 to report those killings.
1: Well, then the, the next call on the log, Doug, is 953.55. And what time does your Verizon bill say that, that you made that next call?
2: 953 p.m. Okay. And
1: so right after you tried, according to this exhibit, it was like 42 seconds after after you tried the first call. Yes, sir. You tried him, by yes, sir. And and when you got him, is that when you talked about the the
2: equipment inspection? That's when I would have said, "How's your mama doing? You know, how's your dad? Um, we need to talk about this piece of equipment. We got to deal with this inspection that's upcoming. And I got some motions that I, I think it's some motions that I need some help with. Something that I need a little guidance on to bounce off of you. So he was about to get back to Moselle or about to get back home, and you know, may lose service or was about to get back home, and he would. Could we talk tomorrow? Hmm. He did in fact tell you. I'm about to drop service. And, I don't think he said I'm about to drop service. I think he said I'm about to get back to Moselle. You know, I may lose service. Can we talk tomorrow? And, again, demeanor is perfectly
1: normal And this last conversation you had with him at 9.53, correct?
2: Nothing stood out as different to me. And he wasn't breathing heavy. He wasn't being frantic. Nothing out of the ordinary. Correct. That's nothing that I heard was out of the ordinary, no, sir. And then you went, oh, you went
1: to bed and, and you got notified by your wife and the phone was blowing up and you immediately got the car and went to Moselle, is that immediately, right? Immediately, yes, sir. And you you got there roughly about one in the morning? Is that about all? one in the
2: morning, yes, sir. And and you were directed to the main house? Yes, sir. You think Alex was already in the main house? I know he was already there because I walked in. The first thing I did was walk over. He was crying and
0: I was crying. And I just walked over and hugged his neck. We didn't say a word. By this point in the questioning of Chris Wilson, Alex Murdoch is rocking back and forth at the defense table, his head hanging forward. His affect suggests that he is emotionally overwhelmed by the witness's testimony. you remember what he was wearing? I don't. Who who was
2: in the... I, mean, I, I think I remember a white shirt, but I don't remember for sure. Well, when you were there, did SLED
1: agents come and take his
2: clothes? I was not there that I remember seeing SLED agents take his clothes or anything like that. If they did, I was somewhere else in the house. Okay. I did not see any of that take place. I was told that they did, but I did not see that. Well, you were told that when
1: when you were in the house? Yes,
2: sir. Okay.
1: Did it fear that they had already taken his clothes when you saw him? I have no idea. Well, did you see him change clothes during the period of time you were with
2: him? Not while I was there, no, sir.
1: So while you were there, he had the same clothes on from when you
2: got there to when you left? As far as I remember, yes, sir. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I mean, I, as far as I remember, yes, I, I was focused on my friend, his no, son. I, mean, I, I wasn't paying attention to whether he changed clothes or anything like that, but I don't remember him changing clothes or anybody taking his clothes, but okay. I wasn't really focused on that. What was Alex's demeanor that night? He was destroyed. He was destroyed? Yes, sir. He was crying, quiet, just whimpering, Indeed. trying to be gracious to the people that had come at times, but... None of us knew what to say. None of us knew what to do. Yeah. there was a bunch of there was a lot of quiet. I want to ask you about comment. He was
1: trying to be gracious. Is, is when Alec is meets people coming up,
2: is he polite, respectful? Is that his normal habit? Yes, sir. He's good with people. I mean, he does it. I, he he's the kind of person that I, I doesn't ever seem to have met a stranger. Always seems to talk to people. Right. One of the things that um, was
1: just well. Let's set the table. Um, you were there, and a, a number of his law
2: partners were there. Is that that right? As I recall, yes, sir. You remember Mark Ball being there? Um, I don't remember Mark. I remember Mark being there at points and times, but I'm not sure about that night when I walked in. Ronnie Crosby? I remember Ronnie being there. Um, Austin Crosby, Lee Coat. Austin Lee, Randy. Randy, yes, sir. I guess his brother John Marvin. Um, Tom Marvin was okay. already there.
1: Okay. I think.
2: I don't remember if Buster had already gotten there or not. I think he got there right after I got there. And then, then you were there for quite for a number of
1: hours, and everyone said, you know, we just need to go and try to get some rest. And, and So you went to your office and laid down on the couch and tried to sleep, right? Yes, sir.
2: And you were back at 9 in the morning? I probably, yeah, somewhere thereabouts, 9, shortly after. And were the same lawyers there? Pretty much. Um I mean, there was a lot of comings and goings, and, um, you know, at very point time, varying points in times, Alec's partners would some be there and some not. But yes, they're pretty much the same number, same number of people and the same people the next morning. Right. And at
1: some point in time, there was a discussion and a recommendation that you agreed with that Alec not speak to any law enforcement without somebody with it, right?
2: Well, we were standing around in the driveway talking, and I think it was Lee Cope, Mark Ball. I don't remember if Ronnie Crosby was in that conversation, a couple other people. And um, there was some discussion about Ellick's interaction with SLED. And um, the discussion that was had was, look, he probably doesn't need to interact with SLED without by himself because don't know what state of mind he's in and don't know what the circumstances are. But he also doesn't need seven or eight lawyers trying to advise him or deal with him. I made it very clear that I wanted to be his friend and not his lawyer, that I didn't that I didn't feel comfortable with that, um, and um, that one person needed to be, for lack of a better term, the point person.
1: And and the concern was that he wasn't in his in a state of mind to do so to have conversations with law enforcement.
2: Well, I mean, Mr. Griffin, I mean, we're all lawyers, and even if you don't practice criminal law at all, even if all you do is civil law every lawyer knows that generally criminal lawyers advise their clients not to interact with law enforcement without their involvement or at least their approval. And so every one of the lawyers standing there either knew that or should have known that. Um, And so whether it was his state of mind or whether it's general, just the general, what we're all taught and trained, um, but yeah, we all felt like that Alec wasn't in a position where he um, needed to or maybe was even able to talk to sled by himself. And that's, I felt that way, and everybody else expressed the same thing.
1: And then that, that gets to my point. You didn't believe he was able to talk to Slab because he was so distraught and destroyed over the murder of his wife and son.
2: That wasn't a, I mean, I'm not trying to argue with you. That wasn't a decision for me to make. That's why I did not want to be acting as his attorney. I wanted to be his friend. That's what I was there for. That would be a decision for whoever was going to be representing for him and his, his representation, whoever it was going to be at that point in time. Whoever was chosen as the point person, that was a decision for them to make about how he would interact with Sled.
1: I understand, but but you agreed with the recommendation that he was in the state of mind to sit down and talk to Sled by himself.
2: I agreed that he did not need to interact with Sled by himself. Yes, sir.
1: Based on his state of mind.
2: I can't. He he was destroyed. He was upset. What, and and I don't know whether he need whether he was able to talk with Sled at that point in time by himself or not. But I knew that that's not something that somebody should do. Well, do you remember testifying? I've done criminal work in my past, um, way back in the past, and that's the advice that I would give every one of my clients.
1: Do you remember testifying before the state grand jury stating he, Alec, wasn't in the state of mind to do so and that we all didn't need to be his lawyer?
2: I don't remember specifically saying that.
1: I'll show you um, page
0: 152, lines 22 through 25. Sure.
1: Say that refreshes your recollection.
0: Sure. Defense attorney Jim Griffin brings a large binder to the witness stand and hands it to Mr. Wilson.
2: He was not in a good state of mind, I will tell you that. You want me to read it out loud or just read it to myself? Refresh your recollection that that was your testimony. Yes sir, I said he wasn't in the state of mind to do so and that we all didn't need to be his lawyer. I didn't want to be his lawyer, I was his friend. I didn't want to be in the lawyer scenario.
1: He wasn't in a good state of mind, that's the cure, correct? No sir, nobody was. Now, you got there at about one in the morning, and there were a lot of people around Alec at that point in time. There were already people inside the house around them, yes sir. And, and then when
2: you left, Alec was with I Randy, think, John Marvin, Buster by that time. I think the decision was made they would go to at least Buster and Alec would go to Alameda and spend the night, and I don't remember whether John Marvin or Randy went with them, but they were leaving as a family.
1: And as far as you know, that they they left as a family and they came back as a family the next day. Yes sir. And, w- and when you got there the next day, it, the more people showed up around LA. Yes,
2: correct?
1: sir. And I think the Bransteaders showed up eventually.
2: I don't remember. Yeah, I think Papa T and Miss Kim were there the next day.
1: Now, the, the immediate days following um, Maggie and Paul's murder, Alec um, spent a lot of time down in Somerville. Do You recall that? Uh, yes, sir. And that's where Papa T and Ms. Where Maggie's parents lived. Ms. Kennedy and spent a lot of time with them.
2: Seem to, yes, sir.
1: And then he would stay with John Marvin down at Okatee, you mentioned. That's where I,
2: I'm sorry, that's where I thought he was staying a lot, yes, sir.
1: And he would stay with uh, his brother Randy. Yes, sir. And, uh, And then they would go to Edisto, he and Buster sometimes.
2: There were several times that he and Buster would go to Edisto, and I'd try to go down and just see them there. I think they were just... I mean, I know Buster, and I think they were just trying to kind of go somewhere where there weren't quite as many people around. And and you begged him, I think you said,
1: or encouraged him to come to the trial lawyers convention at Hilton Head so that maybe, you know, he and Buster could have some normal time.
2: At least to play golf with us one day. I told him he at least should do that.
1: And uh, you were concerned he lost a lot of weight? Had he not? Or... He didn't seem to be sleeping or eating very well. And he was... and. And as his friend, you you tried to give him a shoulder to lean on and an ear to talk to, right? Yes, sir. And, and he asked you rhetorically, what
2: are we going to do without Maggie and Paul? You remember that? I don't remember those exact words, but I mean, he said he didn't know what he was going to do without them. Yes, sir. I don't know if he said, what are we going to do?
0: Alex Murdoch again appears to be overcome with emotion. He hangs his head and begins crying as Jim Griffin continues this line of questioning.
1: And he told you that he, he just couldn't go back to Moselle, that he was going to have to sell it because he just can't go back out. Do you remember he that? He
2: talked to me about he and Buster were going to talk about selling Moselle. He didn't I mean that. That was Paul's thing. Paul loved that property and being on that property. And um, I don't know that Buster loved it as much. He did, but I don't know that he loved it as much as Paul. And I don't know that they, you know, that Ellie just talked to me about it. He didn't know that he was going to want to keep it and that he didn't go back. I don't, I don't think he ever went back out there and spent another night. Don't know that for sure, but I never talked to him when he was there. And you advise him just to take it one day at a time? Yes, sir. Okay. Mr. Wilson,
1: do you see Buster in the courtroom? Stand up, Buster? I do. Is that Buster? Yes, sir. And is Brooklyn seated next to him? Can you stand up, Brooklyn? Is that Brooklyn? Yes,
0: sir. After Alex Murdoch's son, Buster, and his girlfriend are identified by Mr. Wilson, Jim Griffin concludes his cross-examination. Prosecutor Creighton Waters rises to conduct a brief redirect examination of the witness.
3: You were asked by Mr. Griffin uh, on June 7th whether or not you brought up anything about the Ferris fees, but at that point in time, you hadn't had to cover $192,000 for the defendant, had you?
2: No, sir, I had not.
3: And it, as far
2: it was as July the 15th, 16th, 17th, somewhere around in that range, middle of July, that um, that, that I had to cover that $192,000.
3: That he called you with some story about how he had the money in the wrong structures and he needed to send it back to you, but he was 192 short.
0: Yes, sir. Don't the witness. In case you couldn't make that out, Jim Griffin objects that Prosecutor Waters is leading the witness, and Judge Clifton Newman sustains the objection and admonishes Waters.
3: Did the defendant tell you that the issue of notifying his firm had been handled? Yes, About the fees? Before
2: I wrote the checks in March and afterwards.
3: Before June the 7th, you were asked about that call with Lee Cope. Yes, sir. Did you talk about some fees and expenses that were still pending with Lee Cope?
2: Not with Lee Cope, no, sir.
3: What did you talk about with Lee Cope?
2: Lee asked me if all the money in the case, the Mack Trucks case, had been dispersed. And I told him that it happened. We were holding back some lien money, some medical bill money. And I was in Hampton, I believe, trying a case down there the whole week. And he approached me while I, I was working in and out of their office sometime. And I think that's when he approached me and spoke to me about it. And I told him we'd have, I'd have to check. I wasn't in the office.
3: Did you tell Lee Cope at that time that you had already dispersed the fees and written them directly to Richard Alexander Murdoch?
2: No, sir. He didn't ask me about the fees.
3: You were asked about the Phone call that took place, or the phone calls, series of phone calls that you had with the defendant on the night of the murders, correct? Yes, sir. He called you first, correct? Yes, sir. And then he sent you a text saying you up? Yes, sir. But in those phone calls, were you the one who raised the issue about the equipment?
2: I did. I mean, I kept up with our deadlines and things that needed to be dealt with. And I want to say that they, the lawyer had reached out to me sometime around that time. I don't know whether they couldn't get Alec or just chose me to be the person to reach out to but i was being contacted
3: you're asked about him going to visit his mother at Alameda typically during the day and were you aware that he didn't go visit his father that day despite the news that he had been put in the hospital
2: i don't know i don't i don't think we talked about that night on those phone calls whether he had gone to see his father or not i asked how his father was but i don't think he told me whether he had gone to see his father or not
3: You were asked about your conversations that night with him, and I think you said he was acting like the normal Alex. Yes, sir. And you were asked about the fact of your observations of him as a husband? Yes, sir. As a father? Yes, sir. You said you saw no erratic behavior over the years that you've known him? No, sir. Saw no evidence of opioid use over the years that you've known him? No, sir. You said that he came from a prominent law firm? Yes, sir. Prominent family?
2: Yes,
0: sir.
3: That you respected him as a lawyer? Yes, sir. That his clients trusted him?
0: Yes, sir. Once again, defense attorney Jim Griffin objects to Creighton Waters leading the witness. Judge Clifton Newman again sustains the objection.
3: Was the defendant effective in closing argument?
0: Yes, sir, very.
3: Did the defendant show emotion in closing argument?
2: I mean, yes, sir, he did.
3: Was the defendant good with people?
2: Very good with people. That's one of Alec's strengths is with clients and people he met, connecting to people that he, you know, didn't know quite as personally, he could make connections with people. He seemed to know what made people tick. He knew what was important to people. He could spot issues and address issues in a case. When you got him to focus, he could, he could handle those things.
3: Did your kids grow up together?
2: They did. Did you
3: try cases with him? We did. You've done business with him over the years? Have you done business with him over the years?
2: Yes, sir, lots.
3: Have you been roommates with him? Yes, sir. When you covered $192,000 for him, did you trust him and believe him when what he was telling you?
2: I believed that he would pay me back and that what he had told me happened had happened.
3: On September 4th.
2: And I knew I had to cover that money was my trust account. So, yes, sir.
3: On September 4th, 2021, did he confess to you the truth of his life that those of whom were close to him, no one knew?
2: He confessed to me things about him that I didn't
3: know. And you had no idea about any of that? No, sir. And he said it had been going on for years, the reality of his life.
2: He told me that he had been addicted to opioids, and I think he said either 420 or over 20 years. And also, and that he was that he had been stealing money
0: from his clients in the firm,
3: and that was a lightning bolt because you had no idea, despite being his best friend.
0: Objection, leading, argumentative. With Jim Griffin again objecting, Waters again rephrases his question.
3: Were you one of his best friends? Yes, sir. Did you have any idea about any of that it had been going on for a decade?
0: I I had been told by Lee Cope
2: the day before in that phone call that Alec had been stealing from his firm and from clients. And that he had a drug problem and was going into rehab, and that's the first I would have ever known that. September
3: fourth, 2021.
2: That was Friday, September the third, when I talked to Lee Coe, and then again when I talked to Alec on Saturday, September the fourth.
3: it's you out of the blue.
2: Like a ton of like a ton of bricks. I mean,
0: it floored me when Lee called me, and um, I never expected that. Thank you. Nothing further. And with that, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty: The Trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join us on our next installment as we begin our review of the testimony of Michael Satterfield, the son of Alex Murdoch's former housekeeper, Gloria, who died after a fall that occurred at the Murdoch's Moselle Road property. Also check out the Crime Story podcast, Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page.
1: for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.